0: Hi there, it's Melissa. I'm here to tell you about Southern Songs and Stories, a podcast that explores the roots of music in the South and the artists who make that music. Produced by our public radio friends at WNCW, Southern Songs and Stories documents the current music of the South and tells the story of how that music came to be, from styles that are centuries old to genres that are just emerging. We're excited to share a special episode of Southern Songs and Stories with y'all today. Join host Joe Kendrick as he talks with singer, songwriter, and guitarist, Jake Xerxes Fussell, about the folk narrative of roots music in the American South, and following that foundation, all the way to current popular music. Jake will perform live, plus you'll dive into the creation of his latest album. If you like gravy, then you'll love Southern songs and stories, especially if you're on the hunt for another sound-rich Southern podcast that tells stories of the people who add vitality and vibrancy to our region. So make sure to follow them on your favorite podcast app. Listen up. Southern Songs and Stories is coming your way now.
1: This is a song I learned from Doug and Frankie Quimby. They were part of a group called the Georgia Sea Island
2: Singers. In a world where monoculture has taken over agriculture, where languages are increasingly going extinct, where local economies have long been engulfed by globalization, and roughly three quarters of money spent on music goes to the top 1% of artists, you could easily conclude that it is time to wave the white flag on diversity. Close to half a century ago, You could say that the U.S. saw the writing on the wall when Congress passed the American Folklife Preservation Act on the eve of the country's Bicentennial. It sought to preserve America's cultural heritage and reflected a broader understanding that cultural diversity is a national strength and a resource well worth protecting. Oddly enough, that cultural diversity fosters a powerful coalescence rather than acting as something that separates us into different camps. Just as when an economy suffers from monopolies but benefits from competition, just like how an old-growth forest is much more resilient than a tree farm, the music world likewise benefits when we make more room for the folk music of a precious Bryant and spend less time on superstars. Why should we care about music that never even saw the mainstream? Why should we take the time to delve into field recordings of long-dead musicians that Art Rosenbaum got on tape way back when? In our current era, Taylor Swift can set the world on fire with an album titled Folklore, but what space is left for actual folklore? In this episode, we get at some of the meaning these songs still convey decades or even centuries after their births, and touch on how our culture and sense of place can be impacted by music that we never knew existed because it was the oft-forgotten foundation of later waves of music like rock and roll and soul. Here, Roots revivalist, Jake Xerxes Fussell, gives us his insight into that line of thinking and how his definition of Southern culture is a broad one that takes on, as he puts it, quote, "'Stagnant notions of authenticity, "'exclusivity, and antiquity.'" Playing now is his version of Raggy Levy at the Albano Skunk Music Festival in May 2023, where we had a conversation which ranged from recollections of his childhood experiences setting up microphones and recorders for his folklorist father, to his fourth and latest album, which includes his first original compositions. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, with our episode on Jake Xerxes' Fussle.
3: Hoss and buggy, oh, oh a house and a buggy. House and buggy, oh boy, ain't no one to drive I'm Mr. Simple and I'm gonna build me a stone fence. Raggedy levy oh, I do ragged, levy Raggedy levy oh boy, just ragged as a jaybird. Mr. Seppel and I'm gonna build me a stone fence
1: Y'all. Thank you.
2: Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music bands deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music bands to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio WNCW at WNCW.org. I'm going home.
3: Well, that train maybe too late, and that's why I'm going home on the morning train.
2: Jake Xerxes' Fussell is from Columbus, Georgia, a city in the southwest of the state near the Alabama border. In neighboring Talbot County to the east, a generation or so before, Precious Bryant entered the world. This is her version of the spiritual morning train from her album, The Truth, with Jake joining her on guitar. It is one of many traditional songs she counted as favorites, songs dating back to antiquity, most of which were written by unknown artists, songs which mutated and evolved over the decades as they were picked up and reinterpreted by new generations of players. As you will hear, Jake and his family had a long friendship with Precious, as his father, Fred Fussell, was instrumental in helping to expose the wider world to her articulate and energetic style with direct influences from the traditions of her native Chattahoochee River Valley, as well as 20th century greats like Willie Dixon and Memphis Minnie. Jake and I spoke after his set at the Albano Skunk Music Festival in Greer, South Carolina in spring 2023. And our conversation begins here with his answer to my question about his relationship with folklore.
1: I guess I got turned on to folklore, the idea of folklore from my parents who were both involved in it my dad is or he's pretty much retired now but he was a folklorist for many years and uh, my mom was a folklore student in college and that's kind of how they met and they were both involved in it initially from like an angle that they call like material culture so more having to do with craft and things like that like quilting and pottery making and that was their interest i think uh but music of course was a part of it too and they knew people who made field recordings and things like that and so uh when i was growing up my sister and i and my brothers we were we grew up uh fortunate to be around a lot of people who did those sort of things um and uh because my parents were involved in it. Like my dad would put on festivals or was writing books and I'd ride along with them and get to you know, I asked you about these mics because I was grew up like running little field recorders and stuff. We always used cassette, like Sony cassette machines with handheld mics and things like that. So I'm used to this sort of setup because I I did that as a kid for a long time. Um, and uh Yeah, so that's my relationship to that music And then I When I was about um, You know 11, 12 13 Right in there Music started to take like a more serious turn Like I Always really liked it and everything But then I It became like synonymous with that My identity in this weird way And um So it got serious, and I mean, I just got deeper into it, and there was recordings that I found out about of, like, uh, pre-war commercially recorded music, you know, from the 20s and 30s that I became interested in, but also lots of folkloric recordings or, like, field recordings from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and... That all kind of um, steamrolled together and like snowballed in my mind, all that my interest in all that music. And um, so I just dug deeper into it, you know, and played in bands and things the whole time I was in high school and then just kept going for it. You know, it's been a a never ending kind of passion and search.
2: Was there any one moment that you knew where the light bulb went off and, as you said, you you got serious about things?
1: I can't think of any one particular moment. It was probably just a series of moments, you know. Like, my family was real close with this woman, Precious Bryant, who is a guitar player, blues singer from uh, Talbot County, Georgia. And when I was, like, I got my driver's license, I could she didn't drive so I drove her around to festivals and gigs and things like that and probably being around her and seeing that world and uh, other people too like other musicians and things and then and then being around other documentarians and folklorists like my parents you know there was this guy Art Rosenbaum from Athens Georgia who made all these field recordings and then George Mitchell was a guy who made all these blues field recordings and um, other people too that I was around and hearing all those people talk about it and everybody kind of had their different angle like some people were more academic and then other people were more like hobbyist enthusiasts or musicians who dabbled in field recording or dabbled in record collecting and so I got to hear a bunch of different angles on it all you know and some people would be real fundamentalist about certain things they had strict definitions of what was right or wrong, and then other people were very broad in their interests, and so that was all very interesting to me.
2: Okay, I wanna ask about the uh, the, the strict line of thinking of what's right or wrong, because that's so funny, just to, to think about how our tendencies are to compartmentalize music sure. and culture, and to put them in a box and say, there's a line around this that you cannot go outside that line and it will be called what it is called anymore is is that what you're referring to
3: yeah
1: i think so but you know we all have that it's not like any one person or we i think we get into art and music or whatever and we we come up with cater- categories and definitions in order to understand one another and I think people get into music to make some sense of the world around them, you know, to establish some sense of order, oddly enough. I mean, it, you don't necessarily think about order, but I don't know. The more I'm around it, I kind of think, like, when I hear people, it's always really interesting to me when somebody has, like, a really polar polarized opinion of something. Like, oh, I hate this type of music. And then I think, well, gosh, should I hate that type of music too? And I never really thought about it that way. And then I realize, like, oh, I don't I don't think I hate it as much as he does, you know. But maybe I get part of what he's saying, you know. And so then I think about it in that way. It's like, well, we're just all trying to make sense of ourselves within the world, you know, through that, I think. And, of course, that changes, too. I used to hate this. Now I love it, you know. I used to love this. Now I don't like it so much. And that's with everything, not just music. It's like, you know, Literature or something. I used to love Kurt Vonnegut. I don't really read him anymore. You know, people you hear people say stuff like that. So that was always really interesting because you it helps you to develop uh, a sense of how things change and between communities and over time, you know, because I'm always thinking about that stuff.
2: This is Frolic by Jake Xerxes Fussell from Good and Green Again, one of several original songs on the collection, all of which are instrumental. And the album, with cover art by the aforementioned Art Rosenbaum, features guest artists that Fussell has worked with previously, like Libby Rodenbow of the band MIPSO, and new collaborators like Bonnie Prince Billy. I asked Jake about how he chooses which songs to record.
1: It's not, I don't have any particular rhyme or reason about it the criteria is that it has to be interesting to me and a lot of times it happens in like a real organic kind of way i'll hear a recording or something or i'll read a lyric in an old folk song book or some anthology or something and i'll be thinking about that for a long period of time and then i'll be messing around with guitar and put it to a tune or something like that that's often the way it works um But at the same time, I sort of do have to um, be conscientious of what I'm doing because I have some sense of responsibility about my own position in that world. And I don't necessarily want to just, like, play any folk song and not think about the sort of historical context where it's coming from. So, you know, I I try to avoid things that are less like straight from the experience of slavery or prison songs or things like that where it's feels inappropriate for me to do it um i don't you know knock other people that do it but it's just like my own personal choice to sort of stay away from that and and other types of things that just don't speak to me personally you know it has to feel legitimate for me on an emotional level too so that's a big part of the criteria is um if i feel like it speaks to me on an emotional level. Then I feel like my voice, and I can I can sing it legitimately, and it feels real to me. Now that definition of real is very I couldn't pinpoint it for you because it's very um, nebulous kind of thing. But uh, I try to remain true to that, however complicated it might be, you know.
2: Yeah, cultural appropriation is a thing. And it can still happen. It happened in the past as well. Yeah.
1: So. Sure. And, you know, appropriation, it's a complicated concept because it's like, well, I mean, I I sort of see myself as, like, I don't see myself in this lineage of folk music in the way that, like, you know, somebody who inherits a balladry balladry tradition from their great-grandmother or something. That's very different from what I do. I kind of think of myself more as, like, an interpreter revivalist in some ways, like the people from the late 50s and early 60s, you know, who were mostly from the urban northeast or the west coast or whatever. But I kind of see myself in line with that. I'm removed from a lot of the communities that I'm... um, drawing source material from you know so I'm conscientious of that and and I hope that my audience is too I try to be pretty transparent about it when I make records and I'm like I list all my sources and stuff and try to be as thorough as I can about that when I'm playing live I don't talk as much about that just because it I'm not as good at talking on stage and it takes up a lot of time sometimes I do it just depends on the night and where I am but um But yeah, appropriation, it's a funny thing because, like, um, artistic creation, like creativity is sort of appropriation in a funny way. There's, I'm not, I've never heard anybody who, like, was able to extrapolate those two ideas very easily. I think they're sort of art and appropriation are kind of, I won't say they're all the way synonymous, but they're definitely, like, very deeply entangled. listening to Fall Line Radio here on LP Hillsborough. I'm your host, Jake Fussell, and it's another hot Wednesday here in Hillsborough, North Carolina. You just heard Condemata de, de Acamayo, a group from Peru, Cusco, Peru, some of that wino music that I really love. Coming up next, we got some Roy Orbison. Y'all hang in there with us for the next couple hours. We'll be on till 3 p.m. here. On Fall Iron Radio, you're listening to WHUP-FM.
2: From July 12, 2023, that was an excerpt of Jake Xerxes Fussell's radio show on WHUP in Hillsborough, North Carolina. WHUP is also home to Ken Friedman's show, All Heart, No Chart, which we covered on Southern Songs and Stories in the recent episode titled Psychedelia in the Carolinas Then and Now with the Get Right Band and Ken Friedman. Here's Jake Fussell.
1: Fall Line Radio is a show that I started, geez, how long has it been going on now? About five years or something? Um, it's every Wednesday afternoon from one to three on WHUP-FM, which is a community low power station out of Hillsborough, North Carolina. <clears throat> and uh, so we're all volunteer DJs and all that. and. Um, Yeah, I was really like, I got asked to do that right when they first got started. Bob Burtman, who runs the station, asked me to get involved. He and I met and uh, had a concept for a show and we ran with it. Uh, I've slacked off a little bit in recent weeks just because I've been touring so much. So I'm playing a lot of uh, rerun episodes lately. I'm just traveling so much, but I need to get back in there and get some more content but uh it's just a wild mix of everything i mean i call it you know that sort of slogan i have is music from the american south and beyond which sort of means nothing because beyond is anything <laughs> uh, but i do play a lot of field recordings i play a lot of stuff but i you know it's all over the place i would wind up playing like some weeks depending on what mood i'm in i'll play a lot of uh Norteño music from Mexico or something like that so it's just really kind of guided by my interests but then sometimes I'll have like a themed show and have a guest on and we'll talk about this or that um yeah it's really fun to do radio I wish I were better at it like some of you people
2: (laughs) well spend 30 years you'll get there yeah yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) I love how in the description of Fall Line Radio, you mentioned our idea of Southern is broad and inclusive and distances itself from stagnant notions of authenticity, authenticity, exclusivity, and antiquity. And I'm sort of chasing the same dragon with this series, uh-huh. Southern Songs and Stories. is that sort of like nebulous, like what is the South? Like really, is it? An, it's, it's, it's a place, it's an attitude, it's all of these things. So I, I love that you're coming at it from all of these, you know angles that are are people might not have thought about. Yeah. And what is the South anyway? What's your answer? Oh,
1: I don't have an answer. I mean, guy, you're talking to somebody who went through Southern studies. so that just like completely depleted any kind of notion that I had of what was Southern because the, the thing that you do is you you're just confronted with all these different definitions um and ideas about that and then you you don't know what's up or down after you got out of that you know because you know it's so well for one thing the definition of southern was always changing ever since the idea of the south was a thing however far back that was um and you know some at some points in time that meant like Virginia was really the south and then uh, what we call now the deep south was kind of a different place or something and then but I don't know you know I don't have strict uh, definitions about it because I see southern culture in other places and I see other places within what we call the south Um, and especially traveling a lot you know it's really interesting like a lot of the things that have been like stamped as Southern I see as like part of other things you know sort of a a a bigger like part of a bigger pattern of people doing things in different places and so I don't know in some ways Southern is like a, a brand or something or like a concept that people can buy into and that's interesting too um, I mean that's just part of culture I guess but um, I don't have like a real definition of what it is I don't I don't have like a strict borderline either like people talk about Missouri not being southern or Maryland or whatever and I think if those people claim southernness then they're southern yeah. to me I don't I'm not somebody to say yes or no about that or Florida or whatever I don't I get tired of people saying like this isn't southern or this is you know and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at the end of the day. I mean, for one thing, when the definitions are really strict, that's when they're sort of the most challenged, you know, if you think about that, the Civil War or something like that. Well, That's when people are kind of dying over the issue in some ways. So I, I don't know if that's, like, the best way to um, define things. Like, so it's... Um, yeah, I don't know what Southern is. Yeah, there, it's,
2: it's an impossible question to yeah, answer. Yeah. It really is, but we have to try to answer it. It's like folklore yeah, <laughs> answers yeah, sure. it in a way. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we, we might not know what it is right in this moment, but it may be easier to go back and dig up this wax cylinder and get a glimpse at what it was.
1: Yeah, well, and there's also, I mean, the South or Southern is just part of regionalism so i think about it that way too like you know it's not any more important than the pacific northwest or the southwest or um you know think about different regions new england the mid-atlantic the upper midwest you know um i don't know and then you know there's regions within regions so you think about like the black belt or the Delta or Appalachia, the Blue Ridge. But then Appalachia is like, what is that? Is that all Southern? But it goes way up into, uh, it all gets really comp- complicated because it's like, well, Appalachia actually goes way up into uh, uh, Hudson up in Valley and New, New, New Hampshire. New, New Hampshire, <laughs> If you're up there and you're like, oh, this looks a lot like parts of Western North Carolina that I've been in. And, it, and indeed, there's a lot going on that is culturally similar. And that just keeps happening all over the map. You know, it's not just there. It's like, you know, parts of, um, I don't know. It's like parts of Florida, will your mind, you of other places you've been to on the coast and other parts of the country. And so there's overlap, and you know, the strict definitions of southernness are not very helpful at a certain point
2: it's easier to to point to something like music and say okay well the south did birth all these you know bedrock forms of music that went on to conquer the world and that's an amazing phenomenon you know jazz blues rock and roll it all came from the south and it all stemmed from the fact that we had the mix of races due to You know The blight of slavery Mm -hmm. But also for You know In Louisiana You had the French You know Had a lot of different uh, Nationalities But The real catalyst Was Black culture
3: Yeah
1: I mean That's also I mean I could I could make an argument about The reason That we see those As really important forms is because we invested in the South commercially. You know, I mean, everywhere has music traditions. So we could talk about, like, Finnish, well, we could talk about Scandinavian American music in the upper Midwest, but we don't invest the same kind of importance in that music because it's not part of the narrative that we tell ourselves about rock and roll and the importance of certain forms. So rock and roll and R&B and soul music did take the world by storm, but that had to do with uh, a certain set of circumstances that made that happen. And that's important, you know, but at the same time, some of that thinking lends itself to like roots mentality that we think about the roots of rock and roll it's sort of part of, like, rockism, you know, in my mind. Like, it's like, well, we we think the blues is important because that's the foundation of rock and roll. Well, the blues can be important on its own cultural terms without having anything to do with Elvis, you know, or Led Zeppelin or whoever, or the British Invasion, or Rolling Stones, you know. The blues is still important without all that. Uh, I also think the Rolling Stones are important as well, you know. But part of me likes to think about um, music from places in the world that we don't put that kind of emphasis on. I mean I think this biggest cultural movement in the past 30 years in this country is uh, Mexican-American music Um, because it's just proliferating and and we're living within a renaissance of this stuff you know but if you don't think about it in terms of like it's not included in the narrative because it's not important to people who think about rock and roll you know so it doesn't
2: get on the marquee it
1: doesn't get on. no it doesn't get on the marquee well it depends on well i shouldn't say that because it's wildly uh popular among a certain demographic as you might imagine you know So it's not like those bands that are really successful are hurting for money. They're commercially quite successful. I mean, they're really rich. You think about Los Tigres del Norte or something like that. Really insanely wealthy people who are, you know, making a lot of money off this music because they're superstars. But they're not superstars within the market that talks about the importance of rock and roll or whatever. Interesting. Yeah so i don't know i mean i i agree with you that like i the south has a lot to say and yes we did you know the, southern music did take the world by storm in a certain way in the 50s and 60s and that's true but then there's there's other stuff going on at the same time you know and i always like to think about how that those narratives do or don't or overlap with that sort of rock and roll narrative. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What's good in the Mexican-American music scene that we need to listen to?
1: Oh my gosh, I mean there's so much and I'm not even an expert on this stuff like I just kind of barely pay attention to it because I know it's out there and I know it's happening but I mean I love Los Tigres del Norte they're like the biggest band in Norteña music and I mean, they they're not new. They've been at it for a while, but they're still making records, and their um, anything they do is really interesting. It's all very topical and political, and they sing about the current situation with the border crisis and um, and you know with the um, with cartels and all that sort of stuff. So it's all very like um, relevant, recent um topical material like any good folk music is you know
3: Got fresh fish this morning, ladies. They are gilded with gold, and you may find a diamond in their mouth. They are just from the
2: river. Rounding out our time with Jake Xerxes Fussle with his live albino skunk fest performance of The River St. John's, a song he adapted from Reverend Harden W. Stuckey's recording of the song Fish Vendors Cries. That's our show. Thanks for being here. We are so grateful when you tell someone about this series, and it is easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where it will only take a minute to give us a good rating, and where it's an option, a review. When you do that, it makes this series go up in the rankings, which means that more people just like you will find it, and more people will get turned on to the artists and endeavors we profile. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. And big thanks to everyone at the Albino Skunk Music Festival for their incredible hospitality. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South, at The Artists Who Make It.
3: I got French fish this morning ladies They are gilded with gold And you may find a diamond in your mouth They are just from the River Saint Johns Saint Johns they are just from the River Saint Johns they are just from the River Saint Johns Saint Johns they are just from the River Saint Johns
0: Hey, it's Melissa again. If you enjoyed the episode and want to hear more stories like this one, follow Southern Songs and Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening app and tell them Gravy sent you.